Welcome to Adult Papers, the podcast for grown-ups. I'm your host, Violet Augustine. I'm going to share sometimes magical, sometimes terrifying, often strange, occasionally funny, and somewhere uncomfortably between hyper-real and surreal stories with you. The first few days of sobriety, I was extremely tired. Like, reminded me of corona tired. I had a low-grade headache and the entire left side of my body hurt. I was nauseous and the thought of never having another drink made my stomach hurt the same way it would to think about your girlfriend cheating on you. Apparently, my girlfriend's name was Dirty Martini. I came to the decision to get sober pretty much accidentally. This is how it happened. My kids' daycare closed. For the second time this year, lockdown hadn't done shit for me except to be so fucking hard I started fantasizing about being dead. Well, I exaggerate, but as a writer, I'm in the business of exaggeration. Anyway, lockdown had done shit for me. All the forced me time had helped me to get sober and pushed me right out of the fucking closet. So let me not be ungrateful for some of the most harrowing, difficult days of my adult life. Anyway, I was working from home with an active, curious, energetic, and stubborn four-year-old only child. Often, I'd have to have my Zoom camera off because he was running around in only a dress, spray-painting his hair or the walls, or trying to stick the remote control you-know-where. Side note, which is not actually a side note, but is a whole future episode, I'm not really sure what pronouns to use with him. He is having body dysmorphia at the age of four. He says he hates himself because he hates boys and is actually a girl. To say I wasn't prepared for parenting, much less solo parenting on lockdown, is an understatement. Let's just say that before sobriety, I felt in no way, shape, or form, even slightly, even fractionally capable of reaching down into an empty tank and somehow, through sheer alchemy or act of God, bring something, anything, even a drop out to fuel the complex and subtle task that is single parenting a potentially transhuman during lockdown while working from home with a useless, softly alcoholic, non-co-parenting co-parent and an addict, codependent father. But those are other stories for other times. Single parents are gods. Next time you're in the presence of one, you should kneel and offer gifts. So, like I was saying, I was working from home while daycare was closed, until I wasn't and we were back on campus. There had already been this whole fiasco with going back to school where they'd given us a date and so I'd made plans, both physically and financially, to have my kid go back to daycare on X date. But then they decided a week later to change X date, to move it up by almost two weeks, which kind of fucked me mostly financially, but also emotionally, because I had to cite my supposedly personal financial business to my boss as to why I wouldn't be able to come in on the new why date. And I felt kind of broken down by that. 
but that was before sobriety. I feel like I'd handle the situation better now, but who knows, and I'm not in any hurry to find out. But anyway, the favorite phrase of a tangential thinker, I had to just not, but then I just did. And I was back on campus and he was back in daycare and things went smoothly for about two weeks. It was kind of heaven. Being in a quiet room because most of my students were still learning virtually, actually getting my work done by four, leaving on time, and not bringing the stress of work home with me. Imagine that. Then we had a professional development day. It was a Friday, and I was really looking forward to working from home again, except on this day, I'd drop my kid off at daycare at 6.30 like normal, and he'd be none the wiser, and I'd get the whole extra hour commute back, and a whole other hour because PD started at 9 instead of 8, and I'd even get to have my lunch at home, and all the lovely things that you get working from home while your kid is in daycare where he should be if you're having to work from home. Lots of coffee, and actually hot, not having to pack a lunch, or sit in traffic, or babysit legally adult humans who are full of ennui because they can't see the light at the end of the high school tunnel. No pants, and taking an actual shit when I actually need to. I had my two morning hours to myself all planned out. I was going to make myself another cup of coffee and then lie on the couch and binge read Sally Rooney. It was going to be heaven. So we get to his daycare and there are no cars. The lights are off and the blinds are closed. I can see this before I even pull into the parking lot, but I'm choosing not to shit my pants yet because maybe they took the bus today? I get to the door and no one answers. And it's locked. And there are no signs, and so I start cussing, but I figure they must have also had a PD, and goddamn, just my luck. But it's not a total disaster. I mean, I was already working from home that day, so I wouldn't have to call in. That was at least a win. And then I felt guilty about secretly being so thrilled to drop him off at daycare when I'd be working from home all day anyway. But that was before the guilt made way for the reality, and I remembered exactly why I had been so eager to drop him off. And mom guilt is a whole other episode, so quédate pendiente. So I email one of the ladies from his school and ask for a calendar and go home. On the brink of emotional meltdown again, because fucking again. I air quote work from home with him, which was really just me my nose barely above water, self-managing emotions by the second, trying not to have Zoom meltdowns while my child experiments on just how loud he can screech. I wish I could say this was a spooky season thing, but I don't think it is. I mean, it thrills me that his body excites him so much that he feels he needs to shriek as loud as possible just to see how it makes his throat feel. Except that I still have post-traumatic stress, and sometimes I feel like my body is an actual fucking bomb, and his squeals are the detonating device. So, back to the story. The next morning, I get an email back from the daycare, saying they've had to close because of a positive case, and the health department has said at least a week. What's fucked up is the first thing I didn't think is, oh my god, is my child gonna be okay? 
The first thing I did think is, fuck, I have to be out of work. Again. Except this time I'll only get two-thirds pay. And I'm going to run out of money for groceries. And fuck, this sucks. So I call my mom and I'm crying. And I call my lead and long story short, I work out the logistics of missing work for the next week. And I make sure we won't go hungry because my mom, y'all, she comes through with the leftovers. Once she sent me home with a week's worth of food just from her own leftovers. It was glorious. Anyway, so after I finally calmed down and I decided that I wasn't going to have meltdowns anymore, that this was just the new normal, and because of that, I needed a remedy. I decided that the remedy of choice was going to be a dirty martini experiment. I'd never had one, never made one. I'd always had this weird feeling about them that they were just the soulmate I'd never met. And I went promptly to the liquor store for the vermouth. I already had the gin and the olives. It wasn't until after I spent $40 at the liquor store that I realized the irony of the situation. I was spending money I didn't have on liquor I only needed because I didn't have the money for it. And then I came home and made that first glorious dirty martini. I mean, it kind of was like my first kiss. That briny shock. The only thing missing was the hot topic. I'd made it extra strong and full of olives, so it doubled as dinner. And for the first time, a drink itself was not only strong enough, but also provided the noms so that I wouldn't have to eat again later. Which would ruin the buzz? I'd decided to have another one because the first one was so delicious. And dinner? I'd read you definitely shouldn't drink more than two, and at the same time had wondered why because I didn't feel that drunk, but by morning I definitely knew why. So, the next morning, by 10 a.m., I am counting down the hours to when I can have my next one. That oh-so-luscious blend of aromatics, brine, healthy fats, and ice chips Things went on like this for three dazzling nights and swollen, throbbing mornings. I realized I was in love. Romantic love. But with this realization came concurrently the realization that I was in trouble. Big trouble. I couldn't get through the day without thinking about my girl DM. I'd definitely taken her for some joy rides in my car where I'd drink quickly, not to soften the reality of what I was doing, but because I didn't dare take a sip if she was anything less than ice cold. So I did another experiment, just a thought experiment. I thought to myself in the tiniest voice, what if I quit drinking? And again, the stomach cramp, the gut wrench, the feeling like a ball of spaghetti getting wound onto a fork. The thought of my girlfriend leaving me for someone else. Confirmation number two. I definitely had to quit drinking. How ironic, I thought. What a cruel joke the universe has played on us. I only met her three days ago. We'd only had a couple dazzling nights. And now I had to say goodbye? So at 12.03 a.m., I looked down at the date. October 14th, 2020. 
perfect, I thought to myself. It's officially tomorrow. And I'm officially sober. So I started writing this on day 13. Getting sober was the best accident, besides my kid, that has ever happened to me. Um, Another thing, I am aware that, you know, only getting a two-thirds pay cut or getting a one-third pay cut, getting two-thirds pay while working from home is definitely better than not getting paid and definitely better than not having a job, which is, I know, the situation for a lot of people during this lockdown. Um, so, I mean, so far I've been lucky. Um, there, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but when my days run out, I'm going to be in that position where working from home will mean no pay at all. Yeah. So yeah. And this whole like commenting on my own writing after the fact is new. I mean, I love writing stories, you know, when I'm in the moment of these super dramatic moments or these meltdowns and I'm like, how am I going to make it through this or how am I going to make it out of this? I most of the time I'm not thinking this is going to make a great story, but actually that started to happen more lately where I'm like, this is going to be a great fucking story. No, that's not fucking true. I'm always aware of when one of these dramatic meltdown moments is going to be a story. It hits me like pretty quickly after the fact that it's an awful, awful experience to live through. But I'm like, this is going to be a great story after the fact, like probably hilarious. Most likely hilarious. I mean, like when you go through hard shit afterwards, the whole point of retelling is usually to laugh, to get some enjoyment out of like a horrible thing that happened to you or that you had to go through. And um, David Sedaris said it in the, his master class, like, like we're privileged as writers because when bad shit happens to normal people, what? How do they deal with it? But when it happens to a writer, like we get to deal with it and process it through writing. And so for me, I'm fucking so grateful because like, dude, like what else would I get? Like for all of this drama and all of this shit and all of this, you know, like harrowing, difficult moments of like, I mean, just for example, raising a kid by yourself, like a young kid period, not even considering lockdown, not even considering potentially trans child. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want, like, how do you have a conversation with a four-year-old where you tell them like, no, baby, you need to love yourself. I love you. You need to love yourself. Like I just told him to like, say, I'm sorry to myself and say, I love you. And like, give him, give himself a kiss on the arm. And he smiled and then he went off and played. But it's like, when you're faced with that as a parent, what the fuck? Like, what do you even can do? What can you even do? But anyways, even besides that necessarily, like, thank God that I can at least make stories out of these moments. Because what else? I mean, like, without the stories, what else is there? And luckily for me, I've had a pretty obsessive writing habit since I was in like the fourth grade when my aunt Tata gave me a journal for Christmas. So shout out to Tata. Um, 
she gave me a journal and a Polaroid camera. Like, hello, that kind of like set up the rest of my fucking life. I was like writing every day, recording every moment from school. I had like two categories where I would like, this is what happened to me at school today. And la 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 la, list it down to the minute fucking detail as if I was like a fucking Victorian, like clothes I was wearing, food I ate, people I saw, order I saw them. I get home, what I'm wearing when I get home, what I'm eating when I get home. And this was like my journal every day. And then, uh, yeah, and the fucking Polaroid, like, let's go a step further on the documentation. But um, yeah, luckily I've had a pretty uh, consistent writing practice, journaling, I guess, since forever. Um, So I've got bins and bins full of journals, although there was that time when I felt I needed to start over. So I burned a bunch of them in one of those chiminea things at one of my friend's houses. Um, She was like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I need to do this. But I still have bins and bins of those motherfuckers. So yeah, I'm not really sad about the ones that got trapped or like burned. Also, like I've tried to read those. They're fucking illegible. You just can't, not that they're illegible, like you can't read the writing like they're just you can't fucking read them they're just so tedious and so awful and boring but um they exist and I guess more importantly I have the practice and to where now like well it has always pretty much just been like okay I gotta write about that another thing that oh no this is a Augustine Burroughs that he says um I think it's him he says in one of his his memoirs that he just doesn't understand something until he writes about it. And I, God, I relate to that so much. Like until I write a thing, I have no fucking idea. Like until I sit down and process it through writing, I don't have a fucking clue what's happening to me or to anything, to anyone. And so I often just like, I'm sorry for anyone who like trusts that the things that come out of my mouth are dependable. I apologize. I didn't make myself this way. This is just how I am. But, um, yeah, no. Um, so it's always like, I I, got to sit down and write this or else it's not going to make sense to me. And like yesterday I was writing actually this essay and then I had to quit and I had to like go to other duties, whether it was work or parenting. And I was so depressed and sad, like not fully depressed, but just like down, just like, Oh God. Like, and people just visibly notice, like, what's wrong with you? You look stressed. And I'm thinking to myself, well, all I want to be doing is writing right now. Like, I don't want to be sitting here, like, making small talk or talking to you or pretending like what you're saying is funny or smart because it's not. These are people I love. These are not, like, mean thoughts. It's just, like, they're just, it's just the truth. Like, I just would rather be writing that essay or editing it or revising it or doing this, recording it. And, um, So that's pretty much all I ever think about is writing or revising or writing or revising. And it's all that I want to ever do, which makes the rest of life hard. And it also makes the rest of life hard to understand because I can't fucking understand it until I write about it. But anyways, I guess that's enough rambling for this episode. Um, The rambling is fun too, I guess, right? Because I'm just making more discoveries as I ramble and I appreciate whoever of you are still listening and have made it with me to the end of my rambling. I mean, if people actually listen to this, uh, it will amaze me. (laughs) Like, 
I mean, yeah, adult paper started a couple years ago as a zine. And I guess I should tell that story on another episode. But I'm just processing right now. Like, I mean, I have to process like the shit that happens to me as a mom and then the shit that happens to me as a teacher and then the shit that happens to me as a human and then not even considering how much processing I have to do about sobriety and then, yeah, so a lot of processing and I will eventually, I suppose, tell the zine story because I am curious my own self of how we started with a zine named Adult Papers that had some sculptures and masks and shit. And then how we ended up here from that, like, how do you go from zine to masks to music? Because I was writing music and songs and focusing on, like, publishing songs and making music videos and, like, and then now to this, to podcast. I know there's sense in there and truth in there and I know it's there and I can sense it. I can, like, feel it, like, vibrating at the edges of the words, like, the truth is there. I just don't know what it is yet or how to articulate it. So yeah, I guess maybe. Okay, God, but I have to add this too, because I'm like thinking about what I just said about when I'm with people, I want to be like, fuck off so I can go right. But like David Sedaris, he points out in his masterclass and I keep saying in his masterclass, like last time I said, Joyce Carol Oates' masterclass. Yes, I know. I'm trying to study all the people who are good at this thing, but um. He says in his, like, hang out with people, pay attention to people, um, be present because that's how you learn how people talk and that's how you get stories. And I so 100% ascribe to that too. Um, luckily, I think there's still always a part of me that's like turned on. It's like a mic, like recording what I'm going through and experiencing and hearing and listening to, even if there's another part of me that's in my head wishing I was somewhere else writing. I think actually that's kind of part of the humor of it too sometimes where I'm like, always miserable. Like even when I'm not miserable, I'm fucking miserable because there's a little, there's like a little extra awareness in me that's perceiving in addition to the perceiving that is happening in my frontal consciousness, whatever that means. And that other perception is also, I mean, I guess that's everyone, right? Because we all have a subconscious But I'm just like aware of that motherfucker back there. And it's just like, (laughs) shut up. Let me be here. Like, let me be in this moment. Like, stop. Like, you can't write right now. Get over it. (laughs) But that's not how it works. It's not that easy. But so I'm not saying like that when I'm with people, I don't want to be with them. But I am saying that. Like, it can be both. All right. (laughs) That was fucking weird. Okay. Is this ever going to end? Um... I, sec- I accidentally said, okay, God, I meant to say, okay, y'all, like I'm talking to y'all, y'all are listening. And I said, okay, God, <laughs> what is that? Am I really just talking? Is this podcast just me talking to God? Like, should I change the name of it from adult papers to like God talks, God papers, God talking papers? Um, paper gods, God, adult, God, paper, adult, adult, paper, God talks. (laughs) What the fuck? No, uh, no.